good morning, everybody. Um, the simple truths of uh, sitcom America and the office brings conflict resolution right there, right? There you go. That's how, that's how you take care of it. That's how we take care of conflict resolution. Um, we can call it a day. Go binge, go binge the office the rest of the day and we're good. Does that sound good? Only one sure. I'll remember that, all right? Everybody else, I like the rest of you, all right? That's good. All right. Hey, we are here. I am so glad that you're here. Um, I, I want to let you know that I blew it big time this week. If you were here a handful of weeks ago, I'm not even certain how long ago it was now, but uh, I asked the band if they would uh, sing. I asked Joe if he would sing uh, Heart of the Matter for us because we were speaking on forgiveness. And our band, as uh, Pastor Jeff mentioned earlier, they do a great job every week. And uh, they did a great job with that song, with uh, Heart of the Matter there four or five weeks ago, whenever that was. And I uh, I blew it this week because we had a song this week that I should have had them sing as well as we deal with conflict and uh, how we're going to deal with the rules of engagement. And I, I was thinking, um, I, I heard this song this week, um, I want it that way because I want it that way, right? Um, Backstreet Boys, huh? Aaron would be perfect, wouldn't it be? Come on. I, that's just my thought. I'm just trying to help. And, and I so I apologize to you guys for blowing it on that one and not getting them to do that. But really, that song, um, I, I laughed because that song, I, I did hear that song this week, and it caught me, and I'm there like, hey, that's exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about conflict resolution. When we talk about this idea of rules of engagement, what is it that, what is it that we're looking at? One of the problems that we have, one of the things that leads to conflict and in, and, and conflict in your life and conflict in my life is I look around and I see something and I want it that way, right? I don't want it this way, I want it that way. I want my wife that way, I want my kids that way, I want my job that way. Uh, and, and the whole premise of that song was he'd never, he did not want his love to want it that way. She, he wanted her to be content within their love because he wanted it that way. So now, this morning, you've got the theology of um, The Office and the theology of the Backstreet Boys all in one Sunday morning. And the ceiling's still there, so we're thankful for that, right? But uh, conflict resolution, as, as we look at this idea of dealing with conflict and working through conflict, one of the things that I want to remind you of is, is I would encourage you to make sure that you are here for this series. I want to encourage you to come back each week for the series. Why? Because in life, we will deal you will deal, I will deal with conflict. And it's how we deal with that conflict that says a lot about our lives, right? One of the things as Christ followers, if you are a Christ follower here this morning, one of the things about following Christ is Jesus, when he was here on this earth, his comment was, they will know you by your love. Right? It wasn't they will know you by how much you know. They, it wasn't they will know you by how well you're able to turn the water into wine like I did, which you can't do. Right? But it was you will be known by your love. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who we spoke about last week, he went on to say there are three things, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And why did he say that? In the beginning of that chapter in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, if I speak with the tongues of angels, right, if I, if I have the greatest gift of prophecy, all right, and I know the deepest truths, if I know all of this, and yet I don't have love, I'm nothing but a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. 
I'm nothing more than an annoyance. So sometimes I can get my theology all right and not have love for people. And Paul would say, guess what? You're blowing it and you're missing it. So when it comes to our relationships with people, it's important that we follow through. We, we talk about love. It's important that we show love. Why is it important that we show love? Because that is what changed the world in the first century. The fact that the Christians behaved in a manner of loving one another, proclaiming this resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, it changed the world. So when it comes to this idea of dealing with conflict, it's very easy for me, and it's probably very easy for you as well, to look at your next-door neighbor. You know, maybe the person down the street, maybe that teacher that you don't like, maybe it's that boss that you don't like, that coworker that you don't like, or maybe it's even somebody in your family. Oh, I would have this conflict part really good if it wasn't for her, right? Um, some of you, you may walk around saying that. Hopefully you don't, all right? We're not trying to create conflict. We're trying to resolve conflict. So in your life and in my life, we want to be individuals that are looking to deal with conflict in a godly manner. And what we looked at last week is we, is we said these words right here. Rule number one that we needed to learn in, in our lives, rule number one in dealing with conflict was that it, it is not about winning. For many of us, everything is about winning. How many wins, how many losses do I have? Did I, does this one go up on the chalkboard of a win for me or is it a loss? And I got to make sure that I am winning more than whoever that person is. When it comes to relationships, it's not about winning. When you're playing your sporting event, yeah, you want to win the sporting event that you're playing. That's why you play the game. You play to win. But when it comes to your relationships with people, it's not about me always winning and getting my way and let me plow right through, plow you over, make sure that I'm right. But rather, it's about pleasing God. Um, one of the references there that, we, that I can talk about um, is we can think win-win in life. What is best for them? What is best for me? What, what is best for caring for this relationship? But ultimately, it needs to come back to how do I please God? All right, sometimes we just want to please ourselves. I may just want to please me, and we'll look at that this morning. But I want you to know when it comes to relationships, it's not about winning in your relationship. It's about pleasing God. It's not about my, me beating you up, me beating her up, me beating up that coworker, me beating up whatever it is. And I don't mean physically, I mean just winning. But rather, it is about how do I respond in that. One of the things that we were reminded of last week as well is this right here, is that sinful people, and that is us, we are sinful individuals, all right? Sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against, right? That is, that is each one of us in here. Sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. Um, how many of you had an experience of that this week? Nobody. That's what I like to hear. Uh, message, if you were here last week, the message was so good, I cleared it up in one week. That's tremendous right there. I love to hear that. All right? Um, but for me, all right, I didn't. I, I, I still blew it this week. And um, let me just, uh, I'll, I'll paint the picture for you. As a matter of fact, how should I paint this picture for you well? Um, I'll, I'll just give you three letters. D, M, anybody? B, there you go. You guys know it. DMV. You guys have had the same experience. Right? I went into DMV this week. Guess what I acted like? I didn't act correctly when I walked out. I was annoyed. I was mad. I didn't do anything bad, but I was walking out. I was annoyed. You guys are familiar with that, right? Anybody here work for the DMV? I am sorry. I, um, I owe you uh, donuts, lunch, something like that. I, I don't know what it is. But both, both. There you go. Um, 
But I, but I walked into the DMV, and what happened? I didn't get my way, therefore, what, did I, what was I? I was annoyed. Now, I don't holler, curse, scream at people like that. I, I, I don't do that. And I, but I walked away, and I'm, I'm mad with that. I'm just like, why is this place always like that? Asked my wife. I went home and told her. Because she's the one that had actually done all the work for me to go in there and take care of everything. And I'm like, my wife's pretty smart. She knows what she's doing with this. Huh. But apparently we're not smart enough still. So anyway, enough of that. Um, I need counseling. <laughs> Give me a minute here. I got to go. Anybody? Um, anyway, here we go. Uh, so, as, so as we look at this whole idea of how do we deal with conflict, last week one of the things that we went on to look, not only do sinful people respond sinfully when sinned against, and not even we respond sinfully when we're not sinned against. The DMV didn't respond. They didn't sin against me. All right, I was annoyed, but nobody did anything sinful against me, right? But, but we respond that way. But what happens? And last week we looked at this. We have escape reactions and we have attack reactions. And for each one in here, we probably fall somewhere in that spectrum right there. Um, and maybe for some of you, it's, well, I escape here and I attack there or I attack there, right? Might be a little bit different. You flow into different areas of that. Which, by the way, if we flow back and forth, one of the things that that indicates, and probably most of us do, some of us probably escape in some rea responses, some of us at attack in other responses, in other reactions in, in at times. And one of the things that should let us know is, guess what? We, we can control our responses. Because oftentimes we say, well, I can't control it. That's just the way I am. I was brought up like that. That's the way it happens in my family. I, I get mad. That's what happens, right? Um, but yet we're able to control it at other times. So ne and neither this one's more socially acceptable, but it doesn't make it any less sinful in our lives. Sometimes we just escape because we want to avoid, right? We deny, we inwardly stew, we're angry, we have that conversation inside, right? We have temporary flight, permanent flight. Um, down at the bottom, suicide, the ultimate escape reaction, and then attack reactions. What do we have? We, ma we manipulate, we verbally assault, we litigate, we physically assault, and we, and we murder. And... One, one of the heartbreaking things in, in your life and in my life is, is we see this played out in society, right? Even this week, we see this, we see this played out, right, in society, in our, in our news. And, it, and it, it breaks your heart. It breaks our hearts. Why? Because we see the result of what? Conflict. And what does it end in? It ends in murder, and it ends in suicide. And, and it doesn't have to be that way. How do you and I, how, how do we respond in our lives? How, what, is, what is our response? Remember the Apostle Paul last week when we, were, when we were looking in the book of Romans, he said these words, if it is possible, which meant that it is possible often. There may be times where it is not possible. But if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And that's what we want to look at in this whole idea of rules of engagement, right? How do we respond? And this morning, the, the rule number two that we want to look at, rule number two that we want to look at is owning our part. When it comes to conflict, when it comes to dealing with conflict, each one of us, we need to own our part in the conflict, right? It's easier to look out there and say, no, 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 that person, they're just... If you knew them, nobody gets along with them, all right? That's why I can be angry and sin against them because nobody does well at the DMV, right? No one's ever had a good experience there, right? Uh, no, I, I'm not allowed. I need to own my part. What is my response? How do I react at a time, all right? 
That is what we are talking about when it comes to rules of engagement. Not only do we, not only do we need to realize that it's not all about winning, but we need to own up and I need to own my part of the conflict. Now, let me just say this here at the beginning of this. Um, every once in a while, there may be a conflict that is the result of somebody else in your life. But I would be willing to bet that if you looked back through your life, through your mind, when it comes to conflict, the majority of conflicts in your life, there were probably at least two people involved, and you were probably one of them. Every once in a while, there's that situation where it's somebody that's just, whether it's been physical abuse, something like that, and, and I don't ever want to make that small in your life. That is huge and has a, has a huge weight on you. But when it comes to the conflict that you can work with in your life, conflict in your life as to what is going on in relationships that you are dealing with, that you have some power or some authority, some ability in, we need to own our part. And what is that part? How is it that we respond? Well, we're going to look at a passage this morning. It's going to be found in the book of James. If you have your Bibles, I'd, encur- I'd encourage you to look there at James. And uh, one of the things that we want to look at in the book of James is he talks about this idea of where does the conflict, where, do the, where does this stuff come from? I want you to know, when you look and you blame, all right, we each blame, all right, we turn and we blame somebody else, we come by that naturally, but it doesn't make it okay. And the reason I say that we come by that naturally is think all the way back in the Garden of, uh, Garden of Eden with the very first man and the very first woman, Adam and Eve. There they are living in perfection, and what happens? They sin, and as a result of that sin, God comes down, and when God is talking to them, when God meets them there in the garden, he says, what is it that you have done? And in talking to Adam, saying, what is it that you have done? Adam's first response was, the woman who you gave me. So when it comes to blaming, we come by it naturally. It doesn't make it right. The very first man, without ever having sinned before, there was no sin prior to that. We're living, we're living in perfection there. Oh, the woman, God, you gave her to me. Um, it's her and you. Otherwise, I was really doing fine, right? And that's frequently your life. God, really, I'm doing pretty good. It's this one over here, and um, I, I don't know what you brought them along in the way for me here. So James, James decides that he's going to tackle this issue for us. And Scripture tackles it for us numerous times. But James brings it right down. One of the things about the, about the book of James, and if you're turning there in your New Testament, you're like, I, I'm not certain where it is. You can use your phone to look at that, or you can look in your Bible. Um, in your Bible, just go all the way to the back, go to Revelation, and come back about five, six books, and James is right there. All right, and we'd encourage you to look there. But one of the things about James, I, I want you to know, when we talk about James, James was an early follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you how early of a follower of Jesus Christ he was. And he wasn't always a follower of Jesus Christ. But James is the half-brother of Christ. This James that wrote this book is the half-brother of Christ. Now, I just want you to put yourself in James' shoes for just a little bit, for just a minute here. Some of you may have been the older sibling that was always looked up to and always did everything right. And mom and dad thought, oh yeah, why can't you be more like that one? Think about that for James. His older brother was perfect. His older brother was God. Um, What what are you supposed to do with that? You have nowhere to go but down. You can only fail, right? That's the whole problem. How many of you you sitting in here this morning, you're there like, yeah, my older sibling, I, I I would think they were God. I would worship them as God. Nobody. The only one in here that thinks the oldest sibling is God is the oldest sibling. The rest of us, we know, no. 
The rest of us, we know it's the youngest sibling that's always the best one, right? A handful of you. There should have been more. I would think there's more youngest siblings in here than that. Um, but anyway, that's, that's James. And James, in his lifetime, all right, after he sees a risen Savior, after he sees a risen Jesus Christ, he proclaims Jesus as his Lord and Savior. What does it take for you to proclaim your brother, your older brother, your younger brother, whatever brother, if you have a sibling, your Lord and Savior? We're not doing it. James did. And James didn't always think that. As a matter of fact, the Gospels give us a story of one time when Jesus had said some things and his brothers and his family were out there. Um, Jesus, uh, you need to come away. You need to, you need to get out of this a little bit. Uh, you're, a little, you're a little crazy there, right? But, but James writes, and he gives us some insight. Do you know he had a first-hand experience all of his life to seeing conflict handled perfectly within a family? Not his mom and dad, but his older brother. And it would stink as a younger brother to see that. But guess what? Later in life, when he realizes who Jesus was, and he's completely aware of who this individual was, his Lord and his Savior, he's reflecting back, and he remembers, and he declares him as his Lord and Savior, and he had a perfect insight into how to deal with conflict. The other thing that James, I want you to know about James as we look at this passage this morning, is James was the original pastor. He's the early pastor here in the church in Jerusalem. Um, as he writes this, he was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Not a pastor as we might see them today, but he was the leader of the church, the leader of believers in Jerusalem. And what you want to know about the, leader, the believers in Jerusalem, they had been persecuted and they had scattered. That's what God had used to scatter them across the then known world. And not only had he scattered them across the then known world, but James is now the one that is there with that group of believers. By the way, many of them were unable to get work because of what they believed. So they were, uh, they were unemployed. They were still treated poorly in Jerusalem as a result of believers. Why? Because they're proclaiming a risen Savior, a risen Jesus. And guess what? There are other inhabitants of Jerusalem. They're like, no, we killed that guy, and he did not raise from the dead, and we don't want you proclaiming him. That's the world that James is writing in. So James knows a little bit about conflict. And when he writes to these individuals and tells them about conflict, he says these words to them, what causes fights and quarrels among you, right? What causes these fights and these quarrels among you? James is aware that there are fights and there are quarrels that are taking place among the brethren, among the believers, among the church. And he's there like, what is causing these fights? What is taking place? What, 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 what makes you do this? What makes you do that? And he's going to give an answer. And that's a rather, that's a rather big ambition to have, right? To give an answer to that question. Because if I were to have to give an answer to that question, I think I might struggle. What causes fights and quarrels? Huh. I don't know. Um, different people's beliefs. What you believe, what you hold to, what you think, what you do, your behavior. What team you root for. I don't know. Just saying. Somebody might wear a Yankees shirt to church or whatever, and that should cause a quarrel or a fight right there, I would think. I don't know. Anyway, I digress. James goes on. And not only does, as he goes on from there, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? Right? The quarrels and the fights, these issues that we have, the struggles that we have, the conflict that comes up in your marriage, in my marriage, in my child care, in your child care, in your childhood, in your school, in your high school, and wherever it is with your teacher, with your teammates, at your work. Where do these fights, where do these fights and quarrels come from? Don't they come from your desires? 
that battle within you? You see, I have desires within me, and I know the way I want you to behave. You see, the way you should behave is the way that I want you to behave. And when you don't behave the way that I want you to behave, guess what? My desires aren't being met, and guess what? A battle begins within me. And by the way, some of those desires may be very good, and we'll look at that in just a minute. But what I want us to know is when, we come, when it comes to this idea that we have these desires that are within us, we need to realize that the first problem to address in this conflict is you. You may not be the biggest problem in the conflict. You may not be. It might not be that you are the biggest problem. But when we are, when we are in the conflict, I am the one that, guess what? I can look at me. I can't get inside his mind. I can't get inside her mind. And I can't make the change of the, that they might need to make. But what I can do is I can look at me. I can address, is it just me that I'm about winning? Or am I about pleasing God? Am I just about seeing the part that the other person brings to this? Or am I about realizing, you know what, is there a part that I bring to this as well? You see, whenever we are in a relationship, whenever we are having these issues, the problem that we need to address in conflict that you can address, that I can address, is me. Because it comes from my desires. And one of the things that you need to know and one of the things that I need to know is we all have desires. As a matter of fact, we have God-given desires, right? You have God-given desires. I have God-given desires. We all have these God-given desires. And the God-given desires that we have, they're not necessarily evil, right? Some of you have a desire to eat. You're hungry right now. Joel, hurry up. We have a desire. We want to go eat. It's not a wrong desire. You have a desire, Joel, hurry up. It's not a wrong desire, right? Um, some of us, we, we have desires. Th- think about this. You are here. All right, we, we, are, we are human beings. Um, some of us, there, there's, there's a sexual desire that exists. Go forward and be fruitful and multiply. Well, guess what? That, that's a good desire. That's a God-given desire. However, what do, what do we do? We can pervert it. We can take it. We can, do it. We, we, can, we can use that wrongfully, right? We're aware of that. And we need to be cautious. We need to be careful in our life. What are the desires that we have? Sometimes it's for respect. That's not a bad desire, is it? You, you need to be respected as an individual. You know, um, sometimes it's for control. You know, um, God also said, be fruitful, multiply. Um, what did he tell us to do? He told us to have dominion over the world at the time, right? So having control, that's, 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 not, a, that's not a bad desire. But sometimes it becomes an evil desire in our lives, doesn't it? Because all I want to do is I just want to have power. I want to have power. I want to have power. And I want to just steamroll those around me, right? A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jeff spoke a message. And uh, in that message, uh, he said, what do you do when you are the most powerful person in the room? And his example was Christ. What did Christ do? The God-man, the most powerful man in the room, the night before, the night he is going to be betrayed, all right, the next day he will be crucified, and he washed the disciples' feet. The most powerful man in the room served. See, sometimes when we're the most powerful person in the midst of a conflict, we are ready to bulldoze, and we are ready to show the power that we have. And yet God wants us to know that we, need, we have God-given desires that we need to use correctly, that we can't use as evil. Within that, 
I, uh, some of the, one of the things that you need to be aware of is, is we can become aware of how we know that our God-given desires, how do I know that my desires have become evil? You, you know, there are some things that we can be aware of that, you see, my God-given desires become evil, they become wrongs, they become sinful when I am no longer listening and following what it is that God would say, what it is that God will tell me. I know that my desire has become a sinful desire when I start to treat other people poorly when I start to beat up on other people, when I start to be unkind to other people. You see, my God-given desire, my desires that are, are there within my life, I need to be cautious because they can become evil. Um, if we could jump forward to the next slide here and then the one right after that as well, that would be great. Um, you see, right here, um, James talks about this right here. Your desire, all right, your, your desire, but you do not have. So you kill you covet, but you cannot get what you want. Think about that right there. Those are extremes, right? I don't, I don't kill, but yet we can covet, right? I can covet. I can look around and I can desire. Why? Because covet, you can't see me covet. I can get away with that, right? You can't read my mind. Maybe some of you can, but most people can't read my mind. So I can, I can get away with my, coveting, with my covetousness. Why did God put that in his top 10 when he, of his top 10 of his 10 commandments? He says, don't covet. Why? it leads to desires that are wrong. We need to be cautious in our life. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. Where do those fights, where do the quarrels, where does conflict come from in our lives? Because of desires that we have, our covetousness of what is not ours. We want it better. We want it that way. And we shouldn't want it that way. Then he goes on to say, you do not have because you do not ask God. In our lives, one of the aspects of our life is we want to solve it ourselves, right? We're Americans. We're independent. Nobody tells me what to do. They can't tell me what to do. I'm free. And that wells over. That, that wells up into the way that we live our Christianity as well. I'm independent. I'm free. I can do what I want. God, you can't tell me what to do. And technically, I only need your help on those days when life is going rough and I call out to you uh, when I really need you. Otherwise, leave me alone. That's where we need to be cautious in our lives. Um, you see, go going back to the idea of the desires, I know that my desire has become sinful when. Look at this, look at this next slide right here that we have. My, my, my desire has become sinful when I am willing to, get to sin to get what I want. Have you ever been that individual? Right? You're willing to sin to get what you want. I'm aware this is what I desire. This is what I want. And sometimes it's not a bad desire. You want a promotion at work, right? So what am I willing to do? Well, I can steal the other person's, not steal. I'll just borrow the other person's work and I'll make sure that I get the credit for it, right? Um, we do things like that where we might try. Uh, how about this one? Actually, let me give you a better one. Siblings. What do we sometimes do to our Siblings. We blame them so that we get credit with mom and dad. Did that ever happen with you growing up? No, only me. Ah, again, I'm the only one that does it, right? Uh, right? We will look. We will look to steal the credit from somebody else so that we get credit. That's a desire that suddenly I am willing to sin to get what I want. And it goes on to further extremes. When our desires become evil, I'm willing to sin to get what I want. Not only that, I sin because I don't get what I want. Right? Sometimes I'm willing to sin because I didn't get what I wanted. How, how many of you are aware of that taking place in your life? 
Let me give a good example of it. You don't get your way, and you're a little annoyed. So what happens? Everybody at home is going to know that you're annoyed. No, no, no. I'm not going to curse. I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to holler. I'm not going to do all those bad things. But I will make sure that I cross my arms, and it'll be a miserable week here for anybody that wants to be with me. And I pout. Anybody ever do that one? Right? We do that. We do that in life. We decide that we want to get back. That's how we want to get back. Right? I sinned because I didn't get what I wanted. I sinned when I walked out of the DMV. I was annoyed. Why? Because I didn't get what I wanted. And it's their fault. I didn't have anything to do with it. It's not me, right? No. That's our responses. We need to be cautious of our responses in life. James says you desire, but you do not have. You kill, you covet, all right? But you cannot get what you want, right? We cannot get what we want, so what do we do? We quarrel, we fight. We do not have because we do not ask God. And then he goes on and he says, when you ask, all right? When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Sometimes when we finally do turn to God, we turn to God just hoping, God, solve this problem for me. I want my pleasures to be fulfilled. And that's why we don't get the answer that we want. Why? Because we are we are individuals who have desires within us. And if we are unwilling to open up, if we are unwilling to look in the mirror and see the part that we bring to the conflict, we are going to always struggle with conflict because it's always going to be somebody out there. It's always going to be that person. It's always going to be this person. We're going to always look out there and it's their fault. I'm surrounded by idiots. Some of you, you say, yes, I am. Right there, but there you go. And, but we can't live in that sort of a world. We don't live in that sort of a world. If we want to resolve conflict, we've got to be able, willing to look at myself. You see, we all have the God-given desires. I know that my desires become evil when I'm willing to sin to get what I want, or I sin because of that. But there's another area that happens in your life, and, and you'll see this. We, we have this area that's called a regression of desires. All right, th think about this, regression of desires. By the way, this is, as I say this, this is taken from a book, um, The Peacemaker. I think I mentioned it last week in the first service, but did not mention it in the second service. Peacemaker it is by an, by an author, uh, Ken Sand. Um, it's probably about 30 years old, somewhere in that range there. Some people call him Ken Sandy. It's S-A-N-D-E, so I don't know whether I say it right with Sand or Sandy. But uh, it's the book is The Peacemaker, and it's an excellent book if you are one that struggles with conflict because it walks you through this process. But the regression of desires. You see, within the regression of desires, you see, I desire. I have a desire that I want to be fulfilled. And when I want that desire to be fulfilled, if it is not fulfilled, I demand, right? I, I suddenly I start, and now it's, now it's beyond just my desire. I will demand what I want. And then from there I go on and I, and I judge. I can look around and I can judge others. And I can say, well, you're the problem. And then once I, once I still don't get what I want, I will punish. I will punish if necessary. I'm going to walk through the regression of desires with a, with an, with a, with an incident, with an incident in, in my own life. Um, and I don't know that I have a, a good one for judging this. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know that I have a good one for judge, but I think the other three I covered pretty well with this incident here. And um, the regression of desires. Back, uh, this was probably about 10, 12 years ago, somewhere in that range there. 
our uh, kids were probably, our oldest kids were probably nine and seven. I, I'm guesstimating in that range there. <coughs> and uh, I, was a, I was a youth pastor at a church at the time. And as a youth pastor at a church, you always want your kids to behave in a certain manner, right? You want them to be respectful. You want them to behave the, in a way that doesn't go running around the church, causing trouble, that sort of thing. And one Sunday, I, I truly don't know what the, what the issue was. My youngest son is here this morning. He might be able to correct it, but he is not the one that was the problem. The other two were, and they're not here, so I can talk about them. But anyway, like I say, I, I'm not certain what they had done. But, but one of the desires that you have as parents, you want your kids to respect you, right? And you certainly want them to behave in an orderly and a, in a proper manner, and especially when you're at church, right? You want them, you want them to do that. So, so our, our desire, my wife and I, our desire wasn't fulfilled, and, and we demand that from them. <coughs> you are going to behave in a manner that is appropriate. You're going to demand in a manner that is respectable. So that day we were home, that Sunday afternoon we're home and we're eating uh, dinner, and uh, I, I had the perfect plan for them. And this is where I don't really have it for judge, but I had the perfect punishment for them. And uh, we're sitting there, and we had had a teen that was in youth ministry that had asked us, hey, would you come out to our play or our, our musical this week? And uh, Sunday was the last day of it, so I look at the other two, and I talk to Deb, and I'm like, here's the perfect thing for you. The two of you, if you can't behave well at church, you need a little bit of culture in you. So you're going to the play with me, which is, ah, oh, we don't want to go to the play. It's Sunday afternoon, we want to go out and play, right? All that, whatever it is that you want to, nope, you're going to this musical play, whatever it was that you're going to. So away the three of us go. Off the three of us go, we're going to the play. And it's a, it's a wonderful time to take your kids out, and we're, I'm, I'm excited about this. We're going to go. We're going to see one of our students uh, in teen ministry in, in her musical. We get there. Um, it's the wedding singer. Now, I'm not familiar with a lot of plays, and I'm not familiar with a lot of musicals. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the musical or play, whatever it's called. It's the wedding singer. Yeah, you're laughing. Somebody is. All right. It's not appropriate for high school let alone for nine and seven years old. Yeah, you know. Now everybody's like, Google that. You're bringing that up right away. Hmm. Uh, oh, this is awesome, Joel. This is what you take kids to? Yeah, that's what I take my kids to. As a matter of fact, Gavin, who was up here this morning, Gavin was laughing with me about it this morning after the first service because he's like, I was there too. And I was laughing because you had your kids there. All right, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So anyway, we're into this musical that my kids should not be there at. And about the third curse in, my kids look down at me, and they are rolling. <laughs> this is great culture, Dad. <sighs> Remember what I said, rule number one, it's not about winning. Dad zero, kids one. Right? There you go. I, I, I had accomplished rule number one. No, but, but that, that, it talks about the regression of desires. What did I have? I had a desire. I had a demand. I had a punishment. It didn't work out so well, and it certainly didn't work in my favor and when I got home and told Deb about it, that, can I tell you this? It still serves for a great laugh today. The, the fellows, they still love laughing about that, and it, and it does. It serves for a great laugh. But on a serious note, when it comes to relationships, right? Can you see this in your life? You can see it in your life. You can see where you've got a desire, and when that, it's not fulfilled, you demand. And when your demand isn't met, you judge. And when that judgment isn't met, what do you do? You want to punish James, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? That's where they come from. So let me ask you this. In your life, in my life, if there is one thing 
that you can do. Think about this. Is there one thing that I should stop? Is there something in my life that I should stop? Or is there something in my life that I should start doing to make my home, to make my work, to make my school, to make my life more peaceful and joyful? Is there something in your life Not a, you don't need a whole list of things. As a matter of fact, whoever next to you, uh, if you're here with somebody, they can probably give you the list of things, right? Uh, just talk to them. No, don't do that. We're working on conflict resolution, all right? In your own mind, what is it? What is that one thing? What is something that you're like, you know what? I, I do do this, and I can stop doing this. Or what is that one thing? You know what? I don't do this, and I should. How is it that I can make a change in my life to start bringing more peace to the relationships that are around me. Peace and joy within the environments that I hold close and that I hold dear. Let me give you just a handful of questions as we, as we get ready to leave this morning. Some questions that maybe we can start asking ourselves so that maybe you can understand your conflict, the conflict that you're in. But what are some questions that you can understand, some questions to understand in your, conf- in your conflict? And number one is the situation. Take a look at the situation you're in. You're in. What's going on? And this goes with all conflicts, right? We can be in multiple conflicts at the same time. But in all conflicts, we can look at the situation. What is going on? Response. How is it that I have responded? Have I responded in a manner that is pleasing to God, or have I responded in a manner that is pleasing to myself? Thoughts. What was I thinking? What has been going on in my mind? Have I been thinking clearly or have I been thinking not so clearly? Has my mind been clouded by foolishness? Has it been clouded by, the, by wisdom, or excuse me, by foolishness from other people, not by wisdom from God? What's my motive? Take a look at what's, what's your motive in the midst of the conflict. What do I really want? Can you be honest with yourself and answer that? Can you say, you know what, my motives are pure or can you have to say, uh, my motives are not so good? I need to be cautious. What's the result? What is the result that you're looking for? Or what is the result that you got? Did you get what you wanted? Sometimes we get what we wanted and we lose the battle, right? Oh yeah, I got what I wanted. I won. And I blew it. We need to be cautious of that. And then hindsight. Don't be afraid to evaluate. Look back. What should I have done? There have been moments where you have been in conflict and we all just think, let me just continue to deal with conflict the way that I always deal with it. Why? Because I've been such an expert at it before. Or is there a way that we can learn? There's a way that we can learn to show love and better handle conflict. This morning it's been all about taking a look at yourself. Own your own part. I would encourage you as we go forward, we're going to talk about how is it that we respond in the midst of conflict? How is it to respond to the others around us? But this morning as you go out, think, how is it in my life? Take a look this week as you walk through your daily life. What is it that I do? What are the things that I have brought to this conflict? Are you willing to be honest with yourself? Are you willing to honestly look what's one thing that I can stop doing or one thing that I can start doing to start to restore joy, start to restore peace in the relationships? We sing songs about a God who is great and a God who is powerful and a God who can take us out of our Egypt. But do we believe that when it comes to the everyday living of our week? 
Are we willing to put our same faith that we have when we sing those songs so wonderfully? Are we able to put that into our practice on Wednesday? Everyday Christian living throughout the week. Let me encourage you. Look to please God in conflict. He will walk with you. He will be with you. It doesn't always mean that you get what you want. It doesn't always mean things turn out the way that you wanted them to turn out. Remember, Christianity was born out of the worst thing happening to the best person. Humanly speaking, the worst thing, crucifixion to the best person, the God-man. God is capable of walking with you in your daily life. Trust him to be there with you. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time this morning, I want to say thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious God. Thank you that you are here with us. And Lord, I even say thank you that you are for us. We have a God that is for us. You are not against us. You are not looking to punish the individuals here, but rather, Lord, you are looking to walk with us. So, God, I ask that you would help us this week. May we walk with you as our Lord and Savior. Help us, Lord, to understand where, what is our part in conflict. Help us to trust you to be with us. And, Lord, I pray that your grace might shine upon each one that is here this morning that your blessing would be on them. I pray that you would encourage them. Lord, may each one go forward this week loving their family, loving those people around them. Help each one of us to do well in everyday life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing one last song together, so why don't you stand and join us? <laughs>